mainstream media is dominated by the right and the left. The majority in the middle are left without a voice. You've reached the Conservative Hippie Podcast, a common sense look at life, the universe, and everything. Here's your host, Jay Frat, the Conservative Hippie. I try to avoid the ping pong battle of the right and the left in culture war semantics and the never-ending clickbait cries of hypocrisy from both sides. But there was an issue that caught my eye last summer that goes beyond the clickbait ping-pong match. There was something off during the BLM protests and riots, something askew in the never-ending Antifa pressure campaigns and LARPing battles with the police. It was almost as if rioters who broke the law, even in violent ways, were being processed through the court system like a revolving door. Briefly, bail bonds funds became a left-wing darling of social justice activists, and a light was shed on local district attorneys who refused to prosecute criminal cases, often in defiance of local bureaucrats and citizens. This wasn't culture war nonsense. There was something mechanical broken in our justice system. And the answer wasn't a winner-take-all right-versus-left paradigm. I found an expert within this particular part of the justice system mechanism that can help us understand just what is going on, how we got here, and where this apparent movement is going. Ken Good, an attorney in Texas who has extensive experience in bail bond industry working with insurance underwriters and bondsmen. He wrote a reference guide for the bonding industry in Texas and is on the board of the Professional Bondsman of Texas. Now, I know those credentials may seem like Ken is a biased insider's perspective of these issues, but I've read articles where Ken acknowledges biased deficiencies in the industry, and he takes a nuanced approach to analyzing and solving the problem. That is just what we need to look at, quote-unquote, systemic injustice in the American incarceration factory we call a justice system. It's not black or white or right or left. There is nuance or analysis and understanding required to solve any large issue. All right, Ken, that was a long opening. Thank you so much for joining me and the conservative hippie community to shed some light on this complex topic. Well, thank you for having me today. I I, I just want to start off. Get, let's get into it, and I want to um, I want to kind of try to push you towards the reform end, so you can start to frame this issue because it, it is fairly complex. I see a lot of problems that make sense from a social justice angle with bail bond reform. In many ways, cash bail is set up against the poor. Run through quickly. Can you run through quickly what the bail bond system was set up to do and the problems of our current system? Well, uh, of course, yes. The bail bond industry uh, guarantees appearance. That's our job. And that's really the one thing that we do, and we do it very well. We ensure that someone will show up for court. And like here in Texas, if they don't show up for court, the law gives us certain incentives to get them back very quickly. And if we don't, we're penalized. And, you know, many, many years ago, 100 years ago, 200 years ago, we've been around that long. Uh, if, if they didn't show up or if the defendant didn't appear, the bondsman 
or the bail person took their place. We've come a long way since then. You know, now uh, we'll have to pay, or if they never come back, we'll have to pay the full face amount of the bond. But we're guaranteeing appearance. We have the best appearance rate of any form uh, or any system used to get people to come to court. And as you, well, I hope we know, getting people to court is the key to finding justice for victims. If people don't come to court, then they, the victims can't find justice. And I think that's the problem that we find today is, and I'm going to you know, kind of say it in a different way. I think we don't have a problem throughout our country. We have a problem in our urban areas. Our urban areas, our heavily populated areas, we're broken. And we're not just broken in the criminal justice system. We're broken. You know, families are broken. Schools are broken. Drugs are rampant. You know, even now with the protests even more, with businesses being destroyed, there's even fewer business opportunities or work opportunities for people. And so we're left with people committing crime. And it seems like our current fix in our herb, our large urban areas is, well, we're just going to overlook it. And that's creating chaos. That's creating a broke system. That's creating uh, large numbers of people fleeing our urban areas. And we have to figure out a way to fix it, because if we don't, it's just going to get worse. Yeah, and part of the problem, so what we're talking about is cash bail. So a bondsman has to put up uh, the bail to guarantee appearance uh, for some somebody who's been not necessarily criminal, but somebody who has charges brought against them. And that guarantees that they show up for court. W- what I've seen is is it's tangential to this system. So people will say that um, that it's it's against social justice. They want social justice reform because a rich person has an advantage in this system and they can post their bail, whereas a poor person um, cannot post their bail and therefore is incarcerated while they await trial. But I, in, in researching this issue that's really been hot since last summer and we had all of the protests, one of the things I see is is this problem, as you put, in our urban centers where the court system is taking so long to process these people. And then there's also misunderstanding on who is required bail. Can you speak to that for a little bit? Because a lot of people think that everyone requires bail, but, but generally, isn't it, it's, isn't it more of the serious crimes? Well, you know, I mean, the purpose of bail is is to assure appearance. Like in Texas, the current law says bail shall be shall be sufficiently high to ensure that our defendant will appear for court. And uh, anyone released from jail before trial has to have a bond set. Um, the problem that we're having, I think you hit on it, is in our big area, urban areas, is how do we process large numbers of people through the jail quickly and efficiently? And, you know, what the courts have been ordering counties to do is to set up procedures to identify poor people and follow those procedures. To, uh, and that's really what the urban areas are fighting against. They don't want to do that. And so what you see is that areas like New York, Houston, and, uh, and even California for during the COVID, where they're just saying, we're just going to release these people. We're just going to do simple release. We're not going to require any bond. We're not require bonds. Nothing. And that's the problem is people are just being released with no assurance of appearance. They're not coming back. They're getting arrested multiple times, multiple times. I mean, in New York, it was so bad during the middle of the pandemic that, that the, uh, uh, the legislature repealed some of the reforms, uh, 
even though they were in the middle of a pandemic. So what the, the problem is, how do we process them and how do we set up procedures to protect the poor? I think the coalition on the la- or the coalition on this issue has some people in good faith, but I think there are uh, there is a portion of the coalition that just wants chaos because the more chaos you create, then you just can't you can't get it resolved. And and that's what I see happening in, in our large urban areas. We just have more and more chaos, and th- the magistrates, the judges, don't have the time to determine who is truly poor, so they're just releasing everybody. If they would use a bail schedule uh, and then just concentrate their limited time on whoever's left to determine whether they're truly poor, they would have a, we would have better outcomes and p- better numbers or a higher percentage of people showing up for court. But they don't; they're not doing that. In fact, a part of the coalition is 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 lying and saying that the courts have held bail schedules unconstitutional. That's just an out and out lie. There's been two courts hold that bail is subst- substantively constitution. Bell, uh, uh, bell schedules are constitutional as long as constitutional as long as you have procedures to protect the poor. So we have chaos. We have misrepresenting what the law is, and you know nobody knows who to believe, and that's just causing what we're getting. Okay, before we get to um, some of the po- possible forces that are behind this chaos, as you put it, let's try to frame for my for my audience before we get too deep into the weeds. Let's let's just pick something that's very famous that that we can kind of try to uh, explain this issue. And the the most famous case I can think of, the one that really caught my eye last summer that became a flashpoint, was this um, Minnesota Freedom Fund, and it basically it was a bail bond fund. Think of like a GoFundMe uh, for general bail bonds in Minnesota, and it it became a flashpoint because Kamala Harris, who was then a a vice presidential candidate um, promoted uh, this bail bond fund in a tweet. And what I found in my research that this bail bond fund had existed before. It, it had $100,000 brought in in 2018. But in 2020, they brought in $35 million. Yeah. And in my research, I found that most of the protests, quote unquote, legitimate protesters who had been caught up in um, however you want, however they were arrested for protesting, whether it be curfew or they just got caught up behind police lines. I don't want to get into the particulars of how somebody might get arrested within a protest, but most of them were simply released, as you put it, without charge and did not require bail funds. Can you speak to us on how this this bail bond fund that became kind of this social justice activism, um, what the unintended consequences of it were? Well, I think that the, what you said is a, is a very good summary. I, I would I would add to that that um, you know we had all these protests going on, and we had as a result of whatever actions you you know wh- whether you agree with them or not, we had large numbers of arrests. And so we had the call go out. We need funds. We need you to contribute some to the existing funds, some to new funds, because we need those funds to make sure that these American citizens, that was the call, are not detained in jail because they can't afford it. And I mean, people responded just in in the way that Americans do. Uh, and the problem is, as you said, is that probably over 90, 95 percent of these people were released without bail. And then their charges either were never filed or were dismissed. And so as a result, we have these bail funds 
the existing ones who had very little money or these brand new ones who are now awash in large sums of money. And they're really they're a solution now searching for a problem. And you can see that across the United States. You know, are they now trying to act as bondsmen? Well, they sure don't have the experience for that. Are they going to evaluate risk? I mean, there are things that they could really be doing, but they really are a solution searching for a problem. I mean, and you, you just, you know, there's, they've, they've got so much money that you, you know, you've got to have some transparency so that you can watch what they do with these funds. And that's lacking, of course. Yeah, and, and one of the unintended consequences, I believe, was you know a bail fund. Some somebody with green hair in Washington State that wants to put their fist in the air, you know, fight the power, social justice, and they they donate to this fund because they want to get their fellow protesters out of jail. That money doesn't go to that. And what I've what I've seen is is that actually now that money is going towards bonding out violent criminals and putting them back out on the streets. Can, can, you, can you speak to some specific examples you know of where these bail bond funds that were basically raised um, in a plea to help this social justice cause that you know a lot of our fellow Americans believed in, thinking they were going to help these freedom fighters on the streets, but the money's actually going towards uh, often violent criminals? Well, if you think about it, you know, we've got uh in our large urban areas, we have all these reforms that are being pushed or being called for. And we have these, we're not going to prosecute certain crimes anymore. Like California, if you, if you steal something under a certain value, you're just not going to be prosecuted. And, and so the problem with the bell funds in those situations, they're, they're located in the urban areas. That's where the problems are. And in the urban areas, that's where they're pushing non-prosecution of certain crimes, or we're just going to release you on other crimes. So when they're looking, well, we've got all this money. We said we we're going to use it to bail people out of jail. Who's left? The people that are left are the dangerous people. And we've had multiple examples of people who've been uh, let out on a bail fund, you know, for felony offenses, multiple felony offenses, and then who've committed other crimes. And and so that's where we get into, you know, what is what's left for them to do. And and there are things they should be doing, and there there is good work that they could be doing. There is a, a gap for them to fill, but but the problem is they don't have the training to know this. They don't know how. They can't act as a bondsman. They don't have two hundred years of experience to pull upon. They just have twelve million, twenty million, thirty million dollars sitting in the bank and looking for a way to use it uh, until they run out. And you know the problem with a bonding company or a bail fund if they don't know what they're doing and they start uh, mismanaging those funds, they'll be gone eventually. And so you know the uh, the problem will be solved one way or the other. Yeah. What What do you see? I, I know that in an article I read in doing some research, and I believe the article was by you, you pointed out um, reform that you think is good, because whether whether you're on the right, the left, in the middle, something needs to be done with our justice system. And this particular um, mechanic within the system is broken, and people have been working on reform. Um, 2020 may have been a flashpoint. Now it's created this slush fund that of, of people who don't have the training, and they're bailing out violent criminals at times. Uh, I believe you pointed out to a, a district in New York that was working on bail reform that you, that you liked. What does positive reform look like in this case? Well, I mean, you know, we talk about positive reform in, in several different ways. I, I think that, you know, as towards bail funds, 
I think there is a huge hole that bell funds can fill. And, and if you imagine that a bell fund went into an, an urban area and said, we, we want to look at the people who've been in jail that just can't, that are stuck there. And, and they bond them out and they don't stop there. And they do, uh, you know, a social uh, services evaluation of these people. What's the, what's the problem? Why are they not being successful? Do they need training? Do they need uh, to go to drug rehab, alcohol rehab? Do they need counseling? Are they off their meds? And, and can they, these people be made productive? And if they evaluate them and say they can't, well, then move on to the next person. But if bail funds would do that type of an analysis and focus, that would, I mean, they would be heralded as, as uh, something that is truly doing a good service for society. As to the bigger issue of what does a bail, bail reform or criminal justice reform look like, that, that uh, what does good bail reform look like, or what does, uh, you know, th that is such a big problem that focus would have to focus on each area, each urban area separately. Because I think that uh, the problems that we have is you got to get people to court for them and they've got to understand that. And if you suddenly decide that you're, that you're going to require them to come to court, your jail population is going to go up because you've been sending a message, whether you realize it or not, that they don't have to come to court. And so you're going to have to stand by your decision. And I think part of the problem that's guiding this is money. I mean, right now, you know, we don't want to spend the money to build any more jails. We don't want to spend the money to put more people in jail. And if you think about it, with COVID, we're only holding the most dangerous people in jails right now. And so we're not getting cases resolved. And so our jails are currently full with the most dangerous people. And so how do we even have the discretion to say, okay, well, now if you don't show up for court, now that the, now that the pandemic's over, now we're going to make you come to, if you don't, there's going to be consequences. Well, where are you going to put them? And it's going to cost the county even more money when their tax revenues are down. So we've got a real problem. And uh, I think we should re do a review of all of our laws on what is a criminal, uh, what are we going to, what's a crime? And we need to get rid of some. And we don't need Montgomery County prosecuting people for use of marijuana and then Harris County right next door not. I mean, that just sends a terrible message and people don't believe our justice system. But on getting people to court, I think you need to, I think these urban areas need to use a bail schedule so that they can, anyone that can pay that and, and get around a magistrate or not even see the magistrate, then the magistrate can focus the time they have left on, on who uh, is claiming that they couldn't post it because they're poor and they can evaluate that. And if they're still in jail 72 hours later, I think a good reform is to bring them back to the magistrate and say, why are you still here? And if they want to lower their bond and reevaluate, they can. Uh, the problem that I see is, is this across the board. You know, it started out as we're going to have to change this because it's unconstitutional. Well, courts have held it's constitutional. Well, now we have to change it because it's not fair. Fairness will destroy the criminal justice system because the criminal justice system doesn't have the time or resources to treat everybody the same. That's not even its goal. Its goal is to treat everybody differently and to only impose the amount of pressure on you needed so that you will now comply with the law. A little pressure initially because you're a first time offender, more pressure if the more times you offend and ultimately you go to jail. Where we are now is people are offending multiple times and we don't even have the money to put them in jail now. So we're just saying, 
hoping that they don't commit anything really bad and we're just holding our nose and releasing them. That's got to stop. Yeah. It, it's such an interesting problem when you look at it from um, the mechanics of how we've set up the structure of our justice system. And you touched on something there that I've wondered myself, as you clearly see a revolving door of people being charged and then being released, or no bail, no no bail set and being released. Well, I'm I'm kind of familiar with the justice system in a lot of these ways, and they still have a court date eventually, right? They still have to have arraignment. And I'm wondering, as as the backlog of cases build and build and build, sometimes multiple charges for multiple people as they've been through this revolving door and they go out and they get another charge against them, when is our justice system going to be able to catch up in some ways? As you put it, you've already trained these people that they don't have to go to court, but eventually all of this has to catch up, doesn't it? Don't they have to have their day in court and have to show up and face arraignment and face these charges that have been levied against them? Or or are we just lacking any kind of justice right now and proper, low-level property crimes and, and even some uh, personal crimes are just just going to be dropped? Where are we at? How, how are we going to get through this backlog, or does the backlog even exist? There was a group that met with the Harris County Commissioner's Court before, uh, right at the start of the pandemic, and that they recommend. They said that, or their recommendation to the Commissioner's Court was that the district court should dismiss between twelve thousand and eighteen thousand felony cases. Felony, just to prevent the criminal justice system from collapsing. And somebody was talking about what about the victims and. The person arguing for it said, well, at some point, you just got to cut your losses. That was before the pandemic. Harris County was trying some of these reforms for several years before the pandemic. As a result, their their pending cases in misdemeanor courts had already doubled by the time the pandemic started. Now, since they weren't trying cases in a year, you can imagine they doubled it, at least doubled again. How are we going to get through this? Well, one way is we're going to discount crime because the prosecutor is going to give them a sweetheart deal to get them to plead guilty. That's just a fact Um, because they don't have time or they're going to have to dismiss cases. I mean, in Harris County, we have examples where somebody's given a sweetheart deal. They commit a felony. They get deferred adjudication with me, which means if you're successful, it's never even on your record. The problem was they weren't even successful, but nobody filed a motion to go ahead and, and send them to jail. And so even though they got a sweetheart deal, they violated it, they got the benefits of it because nobody took the time to file a motion to revoke their deferred adjudication probation. That, that's the problem. And prob- we're going to see more of that. That's the so problem. And that's what, that's what creates chaos. Yeah, and that's the problem with this backlog, as you just mentioned one example there that was very specific. Well, it's easy to think of the other examples as you try to get through this backlog, and you have FTA's failure to appears. Well, now that just goes right in and stacks on top of the backlog even more. Yes, and, you know, criminal the criminal cases, you know, the fact that you don't appear means your case has to be put on hold, and it has to be put on hold until you return. And sometimes that return is, oh, I forgot, and I come back an hour later. Sometimes the defendant gets scared because they forgot, and they don't come back for a couple of days. Or sometimes they get scared, or sometimes they're just belligerent, and they run, and they don't come back until they commit another crime. You know, that's one of the reasons why I argue in any reform 
we need to set up a system that protects the poor, but we don't need to set, a, set up a system that ties the hands of the state and makes it where the criminals are, are in charge. We can't make appearing for court voluntary. So anytime, and if we say, oh, we have a court date, but if you don't show up, we're going to put your case on hold and we're never going to do anything bad to you. Well, we just made criminal justice voluntary. And it's when criminals think that it's voluntary and they don't have to come, they won't come. And I think it's a disservice to them. And we don't even realize it because they see it as a green light. They start committing more crime and it starts getting more severe crime. And ultimately, it does catch up with them because they commit a crime so severe that they're just now stuck in the criminal justice system. And they're because of their history, they'll be there the rest of their life. And that's not in their best interest. That's not in anybody's best interest. What's going on now is not good for victims. It's not good for taxpayers. It's not good good for criminals uh, or accused criminals. It's and it's I don't know who is pushing it. Uh, but like in Harris County, you know, the advocates won't even agree that there's a problem. They just agree crime's growing up, but it's not because of reforms. Um, yeah, right. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a frustrating time. I, you know, I'm I'm a libertarian, and and a lot of uh, libertarian values are 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 based upon uh, personal liberty, personal property, and you know, ha- holding you know your own free will as a person, and you know, d- people cannot do harm to you or your property. Property rights is a huge part of what holds. America together. And it seems like within social justice reform, criminal justice reform, we're almost losing laws that protect property rights. And it's a very scary place. And now to compound, as you pointed out, there's this backlog and there's this bloating of our criminal justice system where it almost seems like we have to dismiss cases just to move forward. And you, you've mentioned mentioned it now a couple times. Where is all this coming from? And let me let me frame a new conversation. And that is, so we talked about the bail bonds reforms, and that's right in your wheelhouse, um, and these bail bond funds. But there's another thing that's working almost tangential to these bail funds, and that's district attorneys that, for some reason, come into office. And they've decided what laws they're going to prosecute and what laws they're not going to prosecute. Activist district attorneys. And, you know, where is, how is this all of a sudden coming? I'm 47 years old. I've paid attention to politics my entire adult life. This is a fairly new phenomenon from my perspective that's cropped up in these past five years. Where has all of this come from, from your perspective? And do you see these um, activist district attorneys and the impacts that they have? Yes, I mean, okay, so from my perspective, there is uh, a a group, a subgroup of the uh, the coalition that is pushing for this that has gone in and, uh, and targeted district attorney races and they're targeting the again the urban areas uh, across the country and they're funding with large sums of money uh candidates who uh, they ascribe to their view and and the problem is they're, they're turning our criminal justice system upside down and you know the one in uh, the district attorney in la is the best example the job of the district attorney is to represent the victim I mean, they're not represent i mean i know it's the state but i mean they're there to represent the victim and you know the da's office in la recently said you know when somebody called them on that they said well 
We just have a different view of who the victim is. Wow. So some of these DAs are in office thinking that the real victim is the defendant, not the victim. And, and that concerns me. And it concerns me because if you look at this and say, this is, is this a racial problem? Is this a systemic racial problem? Or is this an urban area problem? Because I believe it's an urban area problem. And if it's, if, if that's it, I don't, I don't agree that it's racism. I mean, I mean, if you're born poor, that's not racism. If, if you're born in an area where the schools are crappy, that's not racism. I mean, and those areas, the urban areas are controlled by the very political party that says that it, it represents those interests. So why are, why are we saying that this is systemic racism? If you're arrested by a, a minority and you're prosecuted by a minority and the, a jury of minorities find that you are guilty in these large urban areas, we still say it's systemic racism. I don't, I don't think that the fact that all these previous systems have failed us is a result of racism. I think it's just government ineptitude. And so I think we've got an urban area problem, and we are not even addressing that. Uh, Trump tried to. He's probably done more on it. And, but, you know, Trump's a, a bad word that just causes people to freak out. Uh, and so we can't, we can't even talk about what the real issues are because we just classified as systemic racism. Yeah, and I, I agree. And that's why I hadn't brought up race yet in the conversation because I, I also agree um, that the word poor, poor, mm-hmm. uh, underprivileged should be brought up because that doesn't matter what race mm-hmm. or color of skin you are. All of these people who are in this poor class, the lower class of society, are being affected by it. And they are not all black, they are not all brown. Um, and, and it's, it's a difficult way to view. I I almost see that the people who have an angle view it only from that lens, that lens of race. Whereas if we just talked about poor and trying to help the poor, as you put it, you know, you're coming from an angle of a bail bonds industry and how much you think bail bond funds can help and, and they're necessary in this system. Um, just the justice system where we start to look at defendants as victims instead of the plaintiffs or the the victims uh, of the crime. It, it's it's really topsy turvy. It's upside down. It's wrong headed, and unfortunately, that's what's being broadcast in all of our media. And we're training more and more people to think like that. To well, I think we have we have a. You know, the, there's a coalition that's pushing this, and I think the the segment there's a segment of the coalition that's pushing for these DAs. That say that same segment of the coalition just doesn't think that the uh, that someone who's claiming who is poor should be prosecuted of certain crimes. Now, I would probably say that would go to their punishment, but it it I, we we are a country of laws. If we're not a country of laws, then we're not a country. And if we're now saying, well, he needed that. And so we're not going to prosecute this person for, <laughs> for taking it from you. Well, then now we're just a, a country of who's more powerful. I mean, there's some philosophers that say that's the reason why we came together in community communities was to to keep from having the fight to the death over who your possessions and your power was so that we could have peace. Well, now we're kind of losing that. We're going back to whoever has the most powerful. And I think in Texas, the most 
the most absurd argument you can make is we're not going to prosecute you for coming to my house and stealing my TV so you can go sell it and have money to, to feed your kids. But if I pull out a gun and I shoot you running away from my house with a TV, I won't even be prosecuted because we have the Castle Doctrine in Texas. And I think that is just ludicrous that on the one hand, the person wouldn't be prosecuted, but I could shoot and kill them and I won't be prosecuted. And and the problem is the the coalition that is pushing these reforms would vilify me. And, and um, you know, I would I, I just think it's so upside down. I, I kind of see their point. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I always try to look at it when people uh, talk about the, there was an example you gave. Um, and I think it's a it's a better example when you place uh, a guy, a, a poor man who's stealing a car stereo or, or uh, stealing something from a car. And well, well, he was doing that because he's poor, drug addicted, has to feed his family, whatever. They never consider in that equation that the person who owns the car might be just as poor and just as reliant. Mm-hmm. And that's their personal property. So why is one who's committing um, a violent act against another considered poor, but we don't consider the station of the victim. And it's it's completely upside down and wrong-headed. Um, you keep well, men- and it's worse than that. It's worse than that because, like, it doesn't matter how many times you do it. If we were really looking at making people better, the first time they do it, we would give them social services. We would tell them where they can get the same thing without committing a crime. And then if they continue to commit a crime, well, then there would be consequences. But that's not what's happening. We're being told you won't be prosecuted. Do it again. Okay? You won't be prosecuted. Do it again. And so, I mean, we're reinforcing the bad behavior instead of reinforcing what they should be doing. Yeah. And uh, real quick, you've mentioned a coalition a couple times. And uh, you you mentioned Donald Trump and how it's it's this flashpoint word. This the, it's not even a name at this point. It's just it's just the word Trump sets people off. There's another word. There's another name that you haven't mentioned, but I've seen um, plenty of evidence that says that he's behind a lot of these quote unquote reform efforts in America, and that's George Soros and his Open Societies Foundation. Is that the coalition that you? keep mentioning well i think he's part of it and i do think i do agree that he is uh the lar- one of the funding mechanisms for the uh district attorney races but i don't think he's the entire coalition it's just like on the republican side you have a coalition on certain issues and you have you know the far right then you have the wishy-washy people and then you have the people who agree with you for different reasons and i think the same thing is true on the left you have you know you have social justice people, warriors, you want to call them, but they're there for different reasons. Some people because they think that poor people shouldn't be held accountable or shouldn't be uh, accused of crimes uh, because they're poor. But you've got other people that just say, we shouldn't have these as crimes. We sh-. You have uh, the other coalitions that say, we, um, we need to have retribution. We need to make, you know, we need to be subjugating um, a, a different races because we need to be show them how they've been treating this this uh, minority for for so many years. I mean, I was at an event recently where I was told, you need to show me respect because I'm this minority. And I'm like, I show everybody respect. I mean, I I, I grew up poor. I, there's, you know, I don't think there's any family that grew up any more poor than me. My grandfather was a sharecropper. I, I'm the living dream of this country. I went to college and uh, got grants and 
went to law school, got a master's degree, went to law school, worked my up, way up in a large firm. I mean, didn't know what an attorney was when I decided I wanted to be an attorney. I mean, uh, grew up in a town where only 24 people were in my class and everybody was trained to be farmers. I mean, I was behind when I went to college. I had to fight my way and work all the time. So I'm like, don't tell me that this isn't a country of great opportunity, but it's not. But you got to take that opportunity. And um, I think the coalition has some people on the extreme that are pushing. You don't need to take the opportunity because you can just take. And that's not our country. That's just not our country. No. And, uh, you know, I've always lived by um, kind of my own personal law that makes common sense that you treat each person and you take each person um, for themselves. Uh, you know, from what you learn about that individual, that you know, all the other things, the whether color of their skin, their their station in life, the their job, that that doesn't necessarily matter. You you learn and you get to know each person as an individual, and it, that seems to be lost mm -hmm. as we're trying to group and allocate and throw different people and um, classes into these bins and buckets just for the for the easy sake of of argument. Um, where where is this going? I, I know. From well, the I think identity from... I think identity politics have been very destructive to our country, but also you can see it in our uh, entertainment industry. You know, uh, the uh, Hunger Games taught us that we can't trust the government. Uh, so you, we've had several big movies where the whole concept is you can't trust the government, and so well, you well, can't I'm, trust I'm gonna anyone. Push, I'm and gonna, so I'm going to push back there, Ken. There's there's a whole lot of of actual evidence that says you can't trust the government, even even to this uh, even well, to this true. day. You know, from the from the church <laughs> from the church committee to um, just Russia Gate in recent past. Um, there's a whole lot of evidence that 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 uh, common sense individuals uh, throughout our lives um, have questioned the government for for right reasons. Um, but, I but, absolutely agree with that. But my point is, where do we where's our moral compass come from that now? If I mean, we're taught, you know, religion is, you know, should we shouldn't be finding our moral compass from religion. I mean, when I was I mean, I'm a Christian, but when I was a weak Christian, I found my moral compass by what would grandma do. But today, I don't think we have a lot of people with or we have a lot of people without a moral compass. And so when they're facing a decision, uh, they don't have a background to pull upon, a family experience to pull upon. They don't they don't want to make a decision that's going to embarrass somebody in their family. I mean, I keep telling my kids, you know, you're part of our family. Our, one of our success is everybody's success. And we don't have that community sense uh, that gives us each a moral compass to pull from. And I think that is very destructive to our community and our our, um, well, our urban the fa Yeah, the fabric of our community. Another, another problem yeah. is, you know, I've always viewed um, economic life as a competition. I've always looked at it as a competition. And in our country, everyone has an opportunity with hard work and maybe some luck along the way to rise up this economic social class ladder. And unfortunately, mm -hmm. what we're starting to teach people, what I see in the mainstream thread and, and uh, that's associated with this criminal justice reform and all of these social justice causes that you've talked about today is, is this, um, they're almost promoting 
uh, more of a laziness where you just being yourself, you will get, you can take, as you put it, that, that we're taking away the hard work aspect of how to rise up and the savings and the hard work that it takes to uh, become a, a successful member of our society economically. And it, it is all about the fabric. I, I'm just wondering if this is about you know, we, we, talk, we talk about fascism, we talk about socialism, we talk about communism, we talk about um, outside influences like George Soros and his Open Societies Foundation, and, and it, it almost seems like we're allowing influences to tear apart our country and create this chaotic situation. Who does it benefit and who does it hurt? It seems to benefit outside interests, and the people that are going to be hurt the most are the poor in our urban centers. Well, I agree with that, and I think that there is a, a portion. I think it's a small portion of the coalition, but I think it's a, of, it is the one driving what's going on. Because if you think about it, if econo the economic opportunities, what keeps our society moving towards improvement and betterment, and that's what keeps, uh, uh, keeps us at peace, because everybody wants to get better. Everybody wants to reach for the ring. We have areas in our country where not only is that being thwarted, we have protests where uh, private, in, uh, private property is being destroyed, businesses are being destroyed, and they're closing and not returning. And so that creates even more chaos. And as you said, who seems to benefit from that? I think that very small part of that coalition, that's what they want. And if we don't stand up to that, you know, it's just it's we're not at the point where it's going to get better. It's at the point where it's still going to get worse. And if you've got people who have no jobs, no opportunity, who are, you know, are facing either a life of drugs or a life or they have no life, what are their choices do they have? And we're not giving them any choices and we're not creating a criminal justice. I used to say the criminal justice system was their last opportunity to become fruitful members of the community. Well, now we're being told we won't prosecute you. So we're not even going to give them an opportunity to become fruitful. We're just telling them just don't do really bad things. That's not a recipe for improvement. That's not a recipe for a community growing. That's not a recipe for our society. It's a, it's a recipe for people fleeing those parts of the country, which is what I think is happening. Um, and it's going to get worse. And so we have to, we have to build on a criminal justice system and we have to start at a very small part. And that is, we have to insist that people come to court. And that's what bondsmen have been doing for 200 years. And, you know, we're kind of caught in the middle. You know, all we do is get people to come to court. If we bond them out, we've promised to guarantee they'll appear. Uh, if, if, if the criminal justice system decides that we don't care whether they come, we're not going to prosecute me the way. Well, then you're not going to need bonds. When you, but, but that's not sustainable. It didn't, it didn't work in New York. It's not going to work in California. It's not going to work in Pennsylvania. Ultimately, either they will collapse or they'll, or they'll have so many problems that they'll have to step in. It's like in Harris County. Everybody agrees crime's increasing. They just disagree about why. And so we will continue to do what we do. And when we get somebody out of jail, we will ensure that they show up for court. The court, the criminal justice system, needs to begin doing its job, holding court, getting cases finalized, and holding people accountable if they don't show up. And things will get better. Yeah, fair and just uh, criminal justicism is the um, it's the glue, it's the sewing to the fabric of our society, and 
we seem to have lost the just part of um, fair and equal justice. Uh, we're we're just kind of um, passing the buck, if you will, and mm-hmm. and that buck just gets larger and larger and larger, and it keeps getting passed as the weeks and the months go by. But at some point, something has to come to a head. Um, I really appreciate you. This is such a long discussion. We could go on because the other thing that we're not even mentioning that we've touched on is economic opportunity. And I've always said, and I thought that our uh, President Trump kind of understood this, was with criminal justice reform, opportunity had to go hand in hand within these urban communities. That, And you touched on it, that when these businesses go and leave and they don't come back, that's more opportunity lost for that community, for those people that want to rise and work hard and use their intellect and their abilities to rise through the social classes and and step up that ladder and have a better lives for themselves, more and more people are losing that opportunity as jobs and opportunity flee the urban centers. We absolutely have to bring back those jobs that we've sold overseas for cheaper goods, you know, and we need to bring them back because there, there's no reform that can happen. There's no ju- criminal justice reform that can happen. There's no reform in urban centers. There's no decrease to violence that can happen without the increased opportunity being present in those communities. That's right. That's absolutely correct. People have to have a purpose, and whether it's a religious purpose or an economic purpose, they have to have a reason for living. And right now, you know, they may have their reason for living may be drugs, maybe alcohol, it, it may be violence, uh, because they don't have any other opportunities. And, you know, the number one change we could have would be give incentives for families to stick together. And we need to find ways to encourage that. And they don't have to. I mean, look at Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, Anonymous. You know, that is a system that has been heralded by everyone. Everybody agrees it works. And it has a higher power component of it. And everybody kind of, uh, understands that it's not tied to one religion, but it's a system that works. We need to find something that allows families in our urban areas to flourish instead of be destroyed. That is one change, one change alone. And I know this sounds silly, but if we could find what Dolly Parton has done in her home state and and manufacture it and use it in our urban areas. I think the the, dra- the changes that it would make would just be incredible because she has a nonprofit that has set up a system with uh, giving out free books to children of uh, certain ages. And she goes in or she went in for a certain number of years and made deals with them and they, uh, with students that, and they had an accountability partner. And if they graduated from high school, they got a cash prize and th- they worked together to do it and they had a higher completion rate than uh, the rest of the state. And she convinced the state to take some of those things that she had uh, developed in her uh, nonprofit program and adopt them statewide. We're not doing that. We're not looking for ways to even improve our um, our urban areas from the schools, the families, uh, job opportunities. We're, we're just trying to figure out a way to not prosecute people and not hold them accountable and tell them, well, I mean, what are we telling them? Just go forth and destroy i guess we're not we're not trying to better their lives and we need to be looking at for positive ways to change these people and and it sounds crazy but holding people accountable is the first step and if you don't show up for court you don't get released again for free and you sure don't get released 
a third or fourth or fifth or sixth or seven or a dozen times when you're you're just not going to show up again. This is a uh, this is a long long topic. I really appreciate you bringing this perspective to the discussion. It's it's a hard discussion to have because it's so touchy it in many different areas. It's a flashpoint across the country. But gosh darn it, we have to discuss the nuance in the middle, not just the right and the left and and you know what what extremes we want to implement because the only way forward is some sort of compromise in this nuance in the middle. Ken, thanks for coming on the Conservative Hippie Podcast today. Really appreciate you. We're going to put links to get in touch with Ken in the show notes, but I, I really do appreciate you bringing uh, your well-resourced and um, contemplative uh, thought process to us. Thank you very much for having me. It was it, I enjoyed it very much. Let's be friends. We're all on this cosmic spaceship together. Subscribe and share the Conservative Hippie Podcast. Visit our sponsors, SmokeAndJays.com. Everything for your smoke and lifestyle. StonerHoroscopes.com. Adora Zen dishes cosmic vibes for the stoner at heart. KickFromTheSpot.com. Soccer is American.